I'm going to start with a quote this morning, and, and I, uh, I guess I'm going to say what I say almost be, before every message, every Sunday. This message is really, really important. It's as important as last week's message and the weeks before that. Um, but I do believe, as we're talking about the kingdom, and I want to inspire your faith to believe God for great things, uh, I also want to... Um, help us navigate the tension in which we find ourselves. And the kingdom helps me do that. And I I just want to say this. It's really easy to have pet theories about the way things are supposed to be until you're part of a local church. And what I mean by that is the local church, and if you're trying to pastor people in the local church, the local church is where everybody's life comes together. And what you quickly realize is that there are no easy answers, all right? There's no formulaic things that you just, well, just do these three things, and this is the result that you get. It doesn't work that way. Do you know that on any given Sunday, we could be celebrating somebody's great breakthrough and somebody else's great loss on the same Sunday? Somebody else's healing and somebody else's promotion to heaven. Every week, it's the great equalizer. And so what happens is uh, whatever your doctrinal theories are about how God is supposed to work always get tested best in real life. How many of you found that to be true? In other words, our faith should work in real life with real situations and real challenges. And, you know, we we sang the song this morning from uh, The Lord is My Shepherd, Psalm 23. Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. But how many of you know there's a valley of the shadow of death, and guess what? We walk through it. Uh, and, and so here's what I've come to understand is that the gospel gives us the strength and the power and the presence of Jesus Christ in the midst of a hostile environment in which we find ourselves to give us the strength to walk through some of the most difficult seasons with hope and with joy and with confidence Not always because we get what we want now, but because we will always get what we need later, all right? And that's the the great equalizer is eternity. But I think this message is going to be very, very important to help us navigate the tension between what one theologian has called the already but the not yet. The already but the not yet. And so let me go to a, a great quote that kind of summarizes. Go ahead to that first slide. There we go. The kingdom of God is the redemptive reign of God. Let's pause right there. I'm going to break it down. So if you're t- wherever we're talking about the kingdom and the presence of the king, the king I- exists or is ruling wherever he is reigning. And if he's reigning in your heart, how many of you know you are, have entered the kingdom? Amen? So we want the king to reign. I'm always praying this. When, when there's messes going on, what I want to do is I want to invite the king into the mess. I want to kingdomize my mess. Because wherever the king comes in, then his authority and his power and his provision comes into this situation. So sometimes you just got to say, Lord, I just invite you to come and rule and reign over this situation. And then look at what it says next. The kingdom of God is the redemptive reign of God, dynamically active, which means God is pursuing us in the nature of the kingdom. It was God's initiative to send his son. It was God's initiative to task Jesus with the mission to uh, to completely destroy the works of the devil. Amen? God initiated this. It's It's God's taking the action. God is dynamic. He's the one moving with us. He's not just out there in outer space somewhere and we don't really know who he is. No, he's pursuing us every day of our lives. This is his kingdom and it's his mission. 
So he's dynamically active, and what's he trying to do? He's trying to establish his rule among people, among men. And that is this kingdom, which will appear as an apocalyptic act at the end of the age. In other words, the kingdom has a future dimension. Christ is still going to come. His bodily return, he is going to usher in the fullness of the kingdom. Anybody excited about that besides me? The apocalyptic act at the end of the age, listen, has already come into human history in the person and mission of Jesus to overcome evil, to deliver men from its power, and to bring them into the blessings of his reign. Now, this is the good news of the already, but the not yet. He's coming again, but he's already come. And in his already coming, he declared war on the devil. And in the person and presence and power of Jesus, the kingdom is inaugurated. So it's already, but it's not yet. In other words, there's more to come. The best is yet to come, but I'm going to, you know, Jesus is a game changer because he declared war on the devil, and I tried to share with you last week, if you view Christianity as your launch pad from any challenges in this world, you are going to be disappointed. The purpose of the gospel is not to liberate you from any challenges around you or to make your life the love boat. The purpose of the gospel is to equip you for war. So that we not only get liberated ourselves, but we get to go be liberators of other people. And that, that was a huge point I wanted you guys to get to, because it's, it's a big part of our expectation here of growing people and multiplying leaders, is all of us should be growing in our understanding of the mission and then growing in our intimacy with Jesus so that God's kingdom could flow through us to bless other people. In other words, there's no spectators in God's church, just everybody who's been called to war. And so you have to have a military mindset or else you just sit back and you're shocked when something goes wrong in your life or there's a challenge in your life because you're like been told that's not supposed to happen. I'm a Christian. No, you're a Christian in the midst of a battlefield. Bullets are flying everywhere. Bombs are going off. People's lives are at stake. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, you know, living in a private Ryan world is different than living in, like, you know, Bambi. Like, you can watch Bambi and come away going, oh, that cute little deer. Or you can watch Private Ryan and go, oh, my gosh, what just hit me? I'm trying to tell you we're living in a private Ryan world, not a Bambi world or Snow White or whoever. All right, anyway, you can tell how old I am. I couldn't even think of a late... (laughs) A Disney movie that had come to my mind, that, that shows you how far back. All right, anyway. Last week, we talked about the King's Commission and how the, the kingdom was the central message of Jesus' mission and should be the central message of ours. And we established Matthew 10. It's an important verse. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. And this last phrase is so important. Freely you have received, now freely give it away. So how many of you know we should freely receive the full benefits of what Jesus came to deliver in the kingdom? So we we believe him for healing. We believe him for salvation. We believe him for deliverance. We believe him for provision. you with me? We believe the Lord for all of those things because Jesus inaugurated the kingdom. But as I receive that, 
please hear me. We have an absolute responsibility to give away what we receive. So we love people, we pray for people, we share the gospel with people, we invest in, in, in the nations, we help, send, we help send missionaries, teams, we go to unreached places that are still waiting to hear the good news of the gospel, we pray for sick people, we pray for oppressed people because Jesus wants, to, wants us to all be under the banner called freedom, amen? And if you've received, it is incumbent upon us that we must give it away to, to other people, amen? You all with me on that? So we've covered a lot of ground, but let me just show you. Look at the ministry of Philip, Acts chapter 8. But now the people believe Philip's message about the good news concerning what? The kingdom of God. There it is. And the good news concerning the name of Jesus Christ. What a powerful one-two punch. So we share the good news of the king and his kingdom, and we share the good news of the name of Jesus Christ because it's in that name uh, by which we receive all the benefits and blessings of the king. Amen. Look at what it says, Simon, the sorcerer, he himself was believed and was baptized, and he began following Philip wherever he went. He was amazed by the signs and the great miracles that Philip performed. Remember, Philip started off being a table server. He was a deacon. Uh, he, had, he had three prophetic daughters. Remember them? They were, they were powerful prophesying daughters. Uh, and then Philip with the Ethiopian eunuch. Philip's a powerful story of an evangelist, the office of an evangelist in the Bible. Um, but Philip is preaching the good news of the kingdom, and signs and wonders are following the preaching of the good news. Amen? Yeah. Let's take a look at the Apostle Paul, Acts chapter 19. Then Paul went to the synagogue, and he preached boldly for the next three months. What was he talking about, you guys? Look. He argued persuasively about what? The kingdom of God. There it is. God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles, and when handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched his skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases, and evil spirits were expelled. This is a powerful demonstration of the kingdom of God um, through the, the apostle Paul's life. We talked about the 72, how the, the net got wider and wider, but here's the point. Everywhere the apostles and disciples and followers of Jesus went, signs and wonders followed the preaching of the kingdom. And I want to encourage you, we should be pursuing the same uh, signs and the same wonders. Uh, we should be expecting a move of God. We should be fighting and praying and contending for a great breakthrough in our generation of a move of the Holy Spirit. This, this is New Testament Christianity. You would have to cut out most of the, your New Testament and leave it a bunch of shreds if you took out the power of God from the accounts. And so I want to encourage you, let's not shred our Bibles. Let's not cut out all the stuff or, or put it to a future time when what the Acts of the Apostles showed you was this is the church moving and New Testament power, kingdom power now. And so I want to encourage us, let's go after the now and believe God in our own lives for these situations. But this means more. Last week we talked about the binding of the strong man, uh, Matthew chapter 12. And what I want you to understand is this word binding. When we think about someone being bound, you should picture somebody being tied up with a rope or chains put on them or something like that. But how many know the bound person is not dead, they're still alive, they're just bound. In other words, their freedom to do things has been limited by whatever it is that's binding them up. Does that make sense? So we need to understand that when Jesus came and bound the strong man, he didn't kill Satan. He bound him. They're, they're, this is an important distinction. The decisive battle against sin and Satan and sickness and death was fought and won by the king in his death and his resurrection uh, and his powerful ascension to the Father's right hand. But this is important. The war is not over. 
And this is the tension I want you guys to feel this morning because I believe if you feel the tension of the already but the not yet, it will help you navigate your Christian journey, all right? It brings perspective in the midst of struggle and warfare. So let's talk about this concept of the already but the not yet. We ask this question, is the kingdom of God a future reality to be hoped for or a present reality to experience now? Based upon what you know, what's the answer to that question? Yes. <laughs> it's both. I share with you that the kingdom is a mystery. It's here. It's future. It's internal. It's external. It's hard to nail down. It's like trying to nail jello on the wall, all right? But, but here's the deal. We need to learn with, to live with mystery. And my fear is that we've lost the sense of awe and wonder. I mean, you know, if you could understand everything about God, you would be God, all right? God's bigger than your understanding and my understanding of him. And I also want to say this respectfully. God is bigger than his book. His book is a revelation to us, and it, it, it is all we need for life and godliness, but God's bigger than his book. He can't be contained within the pages of the Scripture. So there's an element of mystery is what I'm trying to say. But mystery should fill us with awe because the God that we serve is a God of goodness. He is amazingly kind and wonderful. And so we should always be in awe of his wisdom even when, listen, we don't always understand it. The Bible says there's a day coming when everything's going to be made clear. But in the meantime, we view things through a glass darkly, meaning we don't see things the way they need to be seen because we don't have enough information and wisdom and knowledge and perspective. So God's kingdom has a twofold manifestation. The first is Jesus' return at the end of the age, and it's going to signal the complete and total destruction of Satan and his kingdom. Can anybody say praise the Lord? I can't wait. I mean, we're going to watch a power encounter uh, at that moment that's going to be spectacular. You, you see certain movies like The Return of the King, you know, and, and uh, uh, some of these movies that inspire us with the greatness of kings and kingdoms, but this is going to be like no other movie you've ever seen. This is going to be awesome. But secondly, Jesus' ministry and mission to destroy the works of the devil and to deliver men and women from his power is, speaks of the present age. And so notice the twofold manifestation, the future, the present. As I said, when someone is bound, they're still alive, but their power has been curbed. And so it's important, while Satan is not powerless, his power has been broken. And I want you to see this. Jesus on the cross broke the enemy's power. He took the enemy captive. He, he's the strong man that came in and bound Satan and then robbed him of his goods. What are his most precious goods? Human beings made in his image and likeness. Every nation, tribe, tongue, and language has been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the good news. But I want you to understand, one theologian has said this, Satan has been bound, but with a long rope. All right? Now, when I take my dogs out for a walk, I like to keep the rope somewhat short. In other words, you, can, you have room to walk with me, but you will not walk against me. Sometimes the dogs take me for walks. You know, that's why, thank God for little dogs, they, they're, they're easier to manage. But the big dog, he takes me for a walk most of the time. But the point is this, Satan has been leashed. He is still God's devil. 
They are not on equal terms. But he's on a leash, but he's not wrapped up and dead, all right? He still can, in other words, if someone gets close to him, he can still bite. He still has a bite. He's still very much active in the world today. Can anybody question that? Satan is alive and active on planet Earth. All you have to do is watch the evening news. All you have to do is look at any, any news network, social media, and you're going to find that Satan is alive and doing all kinds of wicked things on planet Earth. So he's been bound, but with a long rope. The kingdom of God involves two great moments, and I want you to see this, and I think it will help you understand where you find yourself today. How I many you know when you're at the, at the mall or you're at some place, and it's, uh, you look on the map, you're trying to figure out where you are, and there's that little thing that says, you are here, all right? I'm wanting to give you a you are here moment right now, right? So pay attention because how many of you know if you don't know where you are in the grand scheme of God's re overarching redemptive purposes, you will miss where you're at and you'll, and you'll spend a lot of time walking in circles or being lost, all right? That would be a tragedy. So the kingdom of God involves two great moments. Number one, the fulfillment within history, which is the already, and the consummation of the coming of Christ at the end of history, which we call the not yet. Now, when you read the New Testament, it gives you pictures of human history in two stages. How many of you know this, this age in which we're living in has been called the present evil age, all right? The present evil age. In other words, Satan and the demonic realm are still very active in this present evil age. And then we talk about the age to come, the age of Christ and his kingdom and his blessings. But what I've been telling you is that age has already come, just not in its fullness. So check this out. You got the, the present evil age. That's where we're living right now. We have the age to come. And where my hands overlap, you are there, all right? You're living between the present evil age and the age to come, which have overlapped in the coming of Jesus because he inaugurated the, the age to come. Does this make sense? So we're living in the already but the not yet. You're right here. Which means in the overlapping of two ages, we see the power and the presence of Jesus demonstrated in a way unknown prior to the arrival of Christ. But I also remind you that this is still not, this is still enemy territory that we are taking over in the authority and the power of the gospel of the kingdom. Amen? Amen. So let me highlight this a little bit more. I'm going to get to a good, a good military. There you are. Present evil age, age to come. Boom. You are here. All right. We're not living between times. We're living in both times, yes. all right? We're living in both, both times. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 6, 5, we've tasted of the power of the age to come. How I many you know every time somebody gets healed, we, we taste the power of the age to come where no one's going to be sick? Every time someone gets liberated from demonic oppression, we have already tasted of the power of the age to come when Satan is going to be judged completely and destroyed, all right? We're tasting of the powers of the age to come. When someone is born again and saved, and as we sung about today, as you experience eternal life, everybody in this room that's born again, you have tasted of the age to come, where there will be no more sadness, sickness, sin, death, disease. You're experiencing eternal life right now, all right? You've already tasted it. Isn't it good? Tastes great. Tastes great. So here's the deal. I want to challenge you not to make two mistakes. 
If we're living in the already but the not yet, this is what I've noticed in the church, all right, over time, and I've been at this for a while, all right? You hear me talk a lot about keep the main thing the main thing because there's so many fads that come and go, and until you've been around long enough to recognize the fads, you'll get sucked into the fads, and whatever's the latest fad will become all-consuming in your life, and it usually doesn't end well, all right? If you keep the main thing the main thing, you'll finish well. Does anybody want to finish well besides me, all right? What does finishing well looks like? It means you, you're honest, you're full of integrity, you're faithful, you're at your post, you're doing your job, you're loving Jesus, and you're finishing strong. You're not just crawling in by the skin of your teeth into heaven. Are you with me? So let me talk about two extremes. The one is too much of the already, all right? It's what's called over-realized eschatology, which is a big way of saying that we assume we have it all now when we don't. Let's talk about what that looks like. If you have too much of the already, then, it's, then we basically say we should not struggle with sin, we shouldn't struggle with sickness, we shouldn't struggle with Satan, because Jesus has won the victory already, all right? Some of you have came from different faith traditions where it was already accomplished on the cross. Therefore, if you're not experiencing the abundant life, it's your fault. And the reason it's your fault is you lack faith. How many of you have ever sat under that kind of teaching? It is brutal to be at those kind of churches and try to pastor people who are trying to go through life. And I just want to say this. If your theology puts you at the center in other words, it's all up to you, whether you pray enough, fast enough, quote scripture enough, memorize the Bible enough, have enough faith. If it's all about you, that's a scary place to be because now you're the center of, of Christianity. You're the center of your gospel. And how many know you can get on a treadmill because people will say when things don't work right, people say things like, well, we, we should have prayed more. How much is more? We should, we should have quoted more scripture. How many more did you need to quote? Is there a magic number when you hit the jackpot and then it all happens? I've seen even preachers who preach that we shouldn't be sick. How many know every one of them, they still get sick? They just don't tell you. They just don't tell you. I know people get embarrassed if they have a cold. Oh, my gosh, I don't know if I did not know if they got a cold. You're living in a battle zone. Can you give your sinuses a break? All right? I worked all day yesterday. I felt like Lazarus coming out of the tomb today. All right? I'm 60. I'm not 20. I worked like I was 20. My body's telling me today, you're not. <laughs> and I just want to say this loudly and clearly. It's not my lack of faith that's causing my body to feel like it's 60. It's because the fullness hasn't come yet, which is why I see most of you fighting to get to the gym. Because it takes a lot more work to try to keep it together. So when you're 20, you can run around saying, hey, if you're sick, something's the matter with you because you shouldn't be. It's easy when you're 20. It's not as easy when you're 85. Anybody hearing what I'm saying? 
The fact that you're older and it's harder to get out of bed is not a sign of your lack of faith. It's a sign that the fullness hasn't come yet. Let me just pop everybody's bubble. No matter what faith you have, you're going to die. And please hear me. If I've lived a good long life, don't you pray to resurrect me because I don't want to die twice. When we have an over-realized eschatology, we act like everything's supposed to be here in its fullness now. And I'm just telling you, it's not the case. Let me tell you the other side of the coin, though. Too much of the not yet. Well, what do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, many of you were raised in these churches. Everything is, can is kicked down the road to the future. So, yeah, you might pray a general prayer that somebody would be healed, but nobody's expecting God to heal the person. You certainly won't pray against anybody needing deliverance from an evil spirit because you don't even think that evil spirits exist in America. And if they did, God help you, you wouldn't want to encounter one. You wouldn't want to go to churches that actually believe in the demonic. Oh, my gosh, that's so weird. Get me out of here. I want to go to a nice church where I can bring my neighbors and everybody's comfortable. And so those churches all believe that it's coming. But let me ask you this question. Why do you need healing in the kingdom to come. You don't need healing then. You need it now because your body's not acting right. Why do you need deliverance now? Because you won't need it when the kingdom comes because Jesus is conquering every, every. But you need freedom now. But, but you don't, you don't, you kick the, it's, that's for the millennium and the kingdom's for the millennium and it, all that stuff's for down the road. You don't need it down the road. You need his presence now. You need his power now. And so if you, if you have an underrealized eschatology, then you go to a church that's just religious, but nothing ever happens. When do I need salvation? Now! I can't wait for the kingdom to come. I need an encounter with Jesus now! So we need his presence, his power. We need all, all of that. But I'm just trying to tell you we're living in the overlap of two ages. And this has been helpful to me. You know, I, I, I stand the risk today of offending the entire audience. Because some of you will be saying, Pastor, why are you preaching about all this stuff? You know, it's not happening now. We're not living in that age. We're in this age. And if any of you came from a dispensational background, you got plugged into this age. And God's not doing anything in this age. You have to wait for that age. Uh, and so you're mad at me. And then there's folks in here that maybe came from a strong word of faith or charismatic background, and you're mad at me because it sounds like, Pastor, you're saying we, we, if, some, if God doesn't heal, then, then why? And I'm saying, here's my answer. You ready for this? I don't know. I don't know, but I'm not going to beat you up or, have you, or pump you up or try to get you to a mysterious level where all of a sudden all the lemons show up on the, on the slot machine and bingo, you win the prize. How about we stop treating the kingdom like that and why don't we just keep pursuing intimacy with Jesus and keep, I, I'm going to throw one more thing out. Why did the apostle Paul tell you to fight like a good soldier? He said that to Timothy, didn't he? Why did he tell him to fight? If there's one word that describes the Christian life, if I could describe it in one word, it's this, fight. Keep fighting. 
Keep believing. Keep pressing in. Keep growing in intimacy. Keep letting God ex- expand the compassion in your heart for lost people. Be committed to pray for people. Be, be equipped and trained to set people free. Share Jesus with people. Fight, 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 fight. And listen, some battles you're going to win, and some battles will look like you lost. But even the ones you look like look like you lost, you didn't lose because God's a great restorer of everything. And that's what the coming kingdom is going to bring you. Every single thing the enemy has tried to rob you from. So we're always upbeat. We're always confident. We're always, we always have our hope in God. We're always full of faith because that's the nature of the fight. We fight the good fight of faith. But it's a fight. And I wish it always turned out exactly the way I wanted. Let me give you an example. How many of you believe Christ already purchased our healing? I believe that. Look at what the Bible says. 1 Peter 2, 24. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. Hallelujah. When we pray for sick people, it's promises like this that we grab a hold of. But I want you to see the other promises in the Bible, the other realities. Look what Romans chapter 8 says, Romans 8, 23. And we believers also groan. I was groaning this morning when I got out of bed. Even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. Can I just put, what is a foretaste? It's the appetizer before the full course. We've received a foretaste. Look at what it says, a future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope, eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. Come on, the already foretaste, not yet, new version, completely new version. I mean, you know, God can heal your knee. Praise the Lord. God can heal your heart. Praise the Lord. God can give you a new pancreas. Hallelujah. But it's still the old model. The new version of you is still coming, and it's a supersize to the best repair job we ever had going through this life. That's good news. Let me give you another situation. How many know we already have the Holy Spirit in our hearts to sanctify us and to make us like Jesus? The Bible says, Ephesians chapter 1, the, the Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance. Now, check this out. The Holy Spirit's the down payment, the, for, I'll use another, the foretaste of the inheritance that's promised us that he has purchased us to be his own people, right? Give us the inheritance he promised. So you've got the guarantee and you got the promise. The already, the not yet. But I've heard people say, you know what, ever since I got saved, you know, in fact, some Methodist the- uh, theology is like this, that we can reach a state of sinlessness this side of eternity because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Now listen, while that might be theoretically possible, I've been a pastor long enough to know none of us have arrived. There's not a sinless person in this room. And on our best day, when we're thinking of all the sins we didn't commit, 
we haven't even considered the ones, the sins of omission, the righteous acts we should have done if we weren't so selfish. So anybody that says, you know, we can achieve this level of perfect communion with Jesus and we never have to struggle with sin. I mean, you know, Paul called himself the chiefest of sinners at the end of his life, not at the beginning of his life. And I'm sure he was more practically sanctified. In other words, he wasn't, he wasn't immature. He was more practically sanctified at the end of his life than at the start of his life. But he was much more aware of the glory and the greatness of Jesus and the gap that existed between perfection and his own life, no matter how holy and awesome it was. And how many of you know when you look at human beings submitted to God, full of the power of God, it's hard to not put the apostle Paul right up here in the top three on, on planet Earth. Are you with me? Yes. Yeah. But again, don't, don't over-realize your eschatology and think that you glow in the dark or that you, don't, you need to stay humble and repent. There's even some cheap grace People on TV, watch all this stuff. Cheap grace. We never have to repent. We never have. Jesus paid for it all. I don't know about you, but I got to repent to my wife, my kids, my dog, anybody that's around me. If, I, if I'm tired, if my body's aching like it is now, please watch me. I'm not sanctified today. I'm, if you get too close to me, I might bite. I won't. I won't bite, I promise. But I feel like biting. Look at what Galatians 5 says. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. Have any of you ever felt that war on the inside? And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you're not free to carry out your good intentions. I mean, you know, there's a battle in here and there's a battle out there. And as soon as you think you've arrived, the Bible says, beware, lest you fall. As soon as you're pumped up with pride, man, you're God's gift. You know, you don't, need to, you don't need to be committed. You don't need to be humble. You don't need to receive. Oh, yeah, yeah. You glow in the dark. Watch it because you're going to be right on your face. Let's talk quickly. I only got five minutes, but I want to give you the quickest, most awesome military metaphor about the kingdom. Richard Hayes, a theologian, said this, the church community is God's eschatological beachhead, the place where the power of God has invaded the world. So I want you to see this, this gathering as a military beachhead. What have we established here? The presence of the king. Amen? This is a beachhead in a hostile land, the spirit of this age, all right? Take a look. In a military conflict... A decisive battle may be won, and the momentum turned before gaining the final victory. And so, just this, uh, less than a week ago, we celebrated D-Day, June the 6th, 1944. This was the, when the Allied forces invaded Normandy, largest seaborne invasion in all of history, and the Allied forces won a decisive battle on June the 6th. We see it in the movie Saving Private Ryan. The victory signaled the decisive turning point of the war. This was the beginning of the end of Hitler and the Nazis. While this battle broke the back of the enemy, how many know the war did not come to an end until almost a year later? May the 7th, May the 8th, 1945, this was victory in Europe day. This was the day that Germany surrendered and actually Hitler committed suicide. He was dead. So Germany surrendered... Hitler is dead. Now, this is an interesting fact. Between D-Day 
and V-Day, even though D-Day represented the decisive act. The, the, if, how many of you have ever played the game, um, what's, what's that war game we play? Risk. Risk is no fun after like the sixth hour because... Um, <laughs> Because it's all about rolling the dice, and it's a slow death. If you've already got certain parts of the world conquered, it's just a matter of time. And so that's when people usually throw up the dice. I've had enough risk. Get me out of here. D-Day was that day. It was, the handwriting was on the wall. What took place in that invasion of Normandy turned the war. But do you know that between D-Day and V-Day, there were more casualties than in the entire war combined in one year? even though the war was pretty much, for military strategy purposes, over. I want to give you the example of the kingdom. How I many you know Jesus' birth represented uh, the entrance of the kingdom on planet Earth in a human man, all right? Fully God, fully man. I want you to notice the cross and the resurrection, we might add the ascension, was D-Day. Jesus Christ won the decisive battle against Satan. We're living, this is another one of those you are here moments. We're living between D-Day and V-Day. And the Bible says Satan's hatred, his fury, his wrath is intensifying because he knows his day is getting close. His day of absolute annihilation defeat, all right? But we're living between D-Day and V-Day, and I'm just telling you, you know, how many of you remember when ISIS was taking over swaths of uh, the Middle East, and we were horrified as we watched Christian men who were kneeling with their hands tied behind their back, getting ready to have their heads cut off. And you're thinking, Lord, why is this happening? Why, why would... Godly Christian men be getting their heads cut off by this evil, wicked regime. It's because we're between D-Day and V-Day. And the enemy is bound, but he's on a leash. And he's not powerless. And his activities are going to intensify. You know, what Hitler did after D-Day was he tried one last demonic stand. And Pastor Dick and I were talking about this because he's a World War II uh, buff in terms of history. But the Battle of the Bulge was Hitler's attempt to break through Allied lines and to get behind us, and, and it was a last-ditch effort to recapture the high ground of the war. It was Hitler's last, last shot. When they were defeated, that sealed the deal. But I'm telling you, Satan's not rolling over and going, oh, Jesus was born and Jesus is risen and isn't life great? I'll just let as much of the world come to know Christ as possible. That's not his approach, is it? In fact, what we're seeing is birth pains. There's an intensification of hostility and perversion in the world. You'd have to be asleep not to see it or feel it. I'm just trying to tell you why it's here and why it shouldn't take us by surprise. Look at what it says. That's my last point. Oh, man, that clock. Acts chapter 14. After preaching the good news in Derby and making many disciples, Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, where they strengthened the believers. How did they strengthen them? They encouraged them. They said, continue in the faith. In other words, don't give up. Keep fighting. Reminding them that we must suffer many hardships 
to enter the kingdom of God. And God will use this persecution to show his justice and to make us worthy for his kingdom for which you are suffering. Now, can I just say this quickly as a pastor? I want to fight with you and believe with you when you're sick and you're on your deathbed. I want to fight with you and believe with you for your healing. But I also want to equip you for your inheritance. How I many you know that right there is a tension? Let's just say I'm 85 years old. I've lived a godly life. Now, any of you that are 86, you're like, man, why did the pastor just cut me off and he's throwing? No, no, no. I'm just giving an example. But let's just say I've lived a good long life. What I want is people around me reminding me of the fullness of what is about to come into my life. In other words, I want you to make sure my heart is happy in God and that I know my future is secure and that I'm ready to pass over because suffering amongst charismatic churches makes us uncomfortable, if we're honest. Because we don't really know how to, where it fits in. I'm trying to make it fit. I'm trying to tell you that if you're suffering, it's not because you're evil or wicked or don't have any faith. It's because you're a soldier in a war on enemy territory, and we're trying to reclaim what we lost all the way back in the garden. And we should fight and pray and love and encourage and all those things. And then when it's time and it looks like, you know what, maybe this person is going home to be with the Lord, we should encourage your heart that your best days are moments away. That you fought like a great soldier. You finished the course. There is a reward for you. All you went through, your faithfulness, it matters. And you're this far away from receiving the greatest reward you could ever imagine. Great job. That to me is balance. Fight the devil and fight like hell. And don't quit. And don't think that somehow you're, you get to get out of jail free card. We don't. Pursue the heart of Jesus. Love him. Keep your heart unspotted from this world. Rely on the Holy Spirit. Strive for personal holiness. And be about your father's mission. Because if you're not, none of this makes sense. But if you are, there is a mega reward coming. That's what we live for. Stand to your feet. I want to pray for you. Father God, I just ask you to send us off today like hardened military veterans who are deeply committed to rescuing people from the effects of the kingdom of Satan. Father, thank you for this perspective. Thank you for the inauguration, and thank you for the consummation of the kingdom. Lord, we're living in this wonderful tension. Help us to walk the tension aisle without falling off in either side of the ditch. And Lord, may we walk faithfully before you. And God, may there be an increase of your kingdom in our lives and in this place. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Hey, if you need prayer, come on down, all right? We love you. We're glad to minister to you.